All right. So this morning we were talking about discipleship. Um, and what we're doing this morning isn't necessarily a different Sunday school series than the one on evangelism that pastors Jeff and Pierre just finished. Um, because evangelism and discipleship are different, but they go hand in hand. They are, they are connected. They are best friends. Evangelism necessarily leads into discipleship, which is why we have these two lessons today and next week following the summer talking about evangelism. Because remember, when, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. So the first step of that is sharing the gospel with someone, evangelizing, leading them to faith in Christ and repentance of their sins. But that's not full obedience. Full obedience means making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Um, discipleship, of course, is, is different than evangelism, right? Because whereas you need to be evangelized until you repent and turn to Christ, you need to be discipled until you, you die. Or let me say it this way. So assuming that everybody in here is a Christian, when we talk evangelism, that's something you do but not receive, right? You evangelize others, but you don't need to be evangelized. With discipleship, though, it's the opposite. You both need to disciple others, and you need to receive discipleship from others. You need to disciple and be discipled. And so all of this is kind of wrapped up in the mission and the vision that we have for our church, right? That we would live out Christ's mission through God's power and, here we go, disciple-making and gospel partnerships. Disciple-making starts with evangelism. It continues through with discipleship. And that continuation is why instead of doing two more weeks on evangelism, we're shifting gears and talking about discipleship again this morning and next. Um, just parenthetically, if you're wondering, maybe nobody's even thinking about this, um, but one of our vision goals for this year was to lay out this comprehensive plan for discipleship for the church. That is not what I'm doing this morning, right? Um, it's certainly related. My goal right now is to simply talk about what discipleship is, what the goal is, and how we get there and not go into the specifics and the logistics of how the church wants to help in that way. Um, so over the next two weeks, here's what we're doing. I'm going to show you what discipleship is, what the goal of it is, what it means to be a disciple, and then I'm going to show the two pathways that the Bible lays out for us to get there. <clears throat> Both because, one, you're called to be a disciple, so you need to know what you're called to, and then two, you're called to disciple others, so you need to know how to do that. Um, so today, hopefully we're going to, I told Jeff, I'm like, why don't we go short on announcements, give me lots of time, and that was not heated at all. So Lord willing, we're going to talk about the goal of discipleship. We're giving away shirts and stuff. It's like, let me just spend as much time as possible in announcements. What the goal of discipleship is... And then second, we're going to talk about the first way to get there, and then we'll talk about the second way next week. Um, so let's start. What does it mean to be a disciple? How would we define discipleship? What's the goal and the purpose of it? Uh, well, a simple definition would be being a disciple means following Christ, right? We follow him in what he commands in his example, and as we follow him, we're transformed to be like him. 
Um, we want to be transformed into the image of Christ in every single way. That's a nice, easy, simple definition. Um, but it's almost too simple to be helpful, right? I like it, but we need to put a little bit of meat on the bone in order to understand, okay, what does it actually mean to follow Christ? So a more complex answer of what does it mean to be a disciple is to live quorum Deo, which is a pretentious Latin phrase that means live before the face of God. Live every part of your life with the understanding that God is all-glorious, all-magnificent, all-worthy, and all of your life is worship. Every moment of every day, everything you do. Live knowing that through God's gracious and glorious gospel, he invites you into relationship with himself, which is the very thing that we were created for. Um, R.C. Sproul says, To live quorum Deo is to live a life of integrity. It's a life of wholeness. It finds its unity and coherency in the majesty of God. So what we want as disciples is to have this radically God-centered view of our existence, of our everyday life, where our enjoyment of God and our relationship with him is our goal. That means our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever, as the catechism says. So when we're talking discipleship, what we're saying is we want to start mending our broken lives through God's power because we have allegiances all over the place. Sometimes we think we're living, you know, to worship God. And a lot of times we're living to worship other things or we're just completely ignorant and ignoring God's glory and God's position in our lives. We have loves that are all out of whack, going to all different directions, and discipleship means having this cohesion where we bring everything together under the glory of God so we live all of our lives in relationship to him. So we calibrate our lives to be lives of worship in spirit and in truth of the one true living triune God. Um, so one resource that's been super helpful as I prepared these couple lessons. Um, it's a book called Deep Discipleship by J.T. English. He used to be the discipleship pastor in, um, in Texas with Matt Chandler at, I should have wrote the church's name, somewhere. Village. The Village Church in Texas, there you go. Uh, he left to be a church planner in Colorado a few years back. But he writes this, he says, in the local church, we are motivated by this vision of the beauty of God. His presence is what we want. Ministry, and I'll add discipleship, does not satisfy. God does. We want him now. We want him in, in the future. And his presence with us is the only way we are going to get there. Our ministry aim is to ask God to bring us into his inexhaustible presence, his bottomless beauty and infinite glory. Fellowship with the triune God is where we are going and fellowship with the triune God is how we're going to get there. So, so through discipleship, we grow to be more like Christ. We follow Christ, right? And learning to love God with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul. And we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. We learn that all of our being exists to worship God in spirit and in truth. Discipleship is all about relating to God and enjoying him forever. I mean, that's what the gospel's about too, right? Um, isn't that why Jesus died is to bring us to God? 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous 
that's Christ, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, right? We are created to be with God, to be in fellowship with God. Our sin has ruined that. It separated us from God. So Jesus had to die so he could bring us to God and we could enjoy the relationship with him that we were created for. Being with God is the reason we exist. And so in discipleship, we start to live more and more and more in light of this reality. So here's why this matters, right? I already mentioned this a little bit. When we think of discipleship, I don't think a lot of us start with the majestic glory and love of God. I think we hear discipleship and think, that's more to do, right? That means I need to add something else to my already long list of things I need to do each week. We think it means meeting with someone weekly. It means Bible reading. It means prayer. It means evangelizing. It means fast. I don't know if Baptists fast, but it could mean fasting. It means accountability. It means doing this and this and this and this and this and this and that other thing. And that's probably all true. But if we make the means of discipleship, the things we're supposed to do, the goal of discipleship, then it's inevitably going to hurt discipleship because we get exhausted with the list instead of being enamored with the picture of the glory of God. Or, or let me say it this way, right? My days right now are absolutely exhausting, mostly to do with, you know, a toddler and a, and a two-week-old because life is all about the things that I need to do. I need to change a diaper, make lunch, clean up pee, discipline, start the laundry. Wait, no, rewash yesterday's laundry that we forgot about. Change another diaper, help Chrissy because she's lifting something she shouldn't be. Get someone down from a nap, get somebody else to stop crying, turn on Daniel Tiger, burp a baby, change another diaper, get a snack, get everybody snacks now. And now I forgot about the laundry a second time. And now we've had too much screen time because Daniel Tiger's on this 18th episode. And so wait, do we ever, do we need to have lunch? Do we eat lunch? Are we, is somebody bringing dinner? tonight what's the link for meal train again okay so I'm gonna start cooking and while I'm cooking I'm changing another diaper now the food's burning I'm re-figuring out what we're doing for dinner because our sausages are smoked to smithereens I gotta give a bath go 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 and all in there we're trying to sleep a little bit and I'm also trying to work and get a, a Sunday school lesson put together and when I focus on all the things I need to do it's absolutely exhausting and your lives are the same way Two. But then there's this few times in the day, you know, usually in bedtime or, you know, where I just get to sit and snuggle my kids and enjoy being, my, being their dad, enjoy being with my family. And that really makes it all worth it, doesn't it? When we keep the goal the goal, it makes everything that we do to get there worth it. I'm not <clears throat> so concerned about the food and the diapers and the messes and the tantrums when I get to simply enjoy being with my kids. So we want to think about the goal of discipleship, knowing God, glorifying him, and enjoying him forever. That's what we strive for, and it makes it worth the cost. Again, J.T. English says, The source of true discipleship is not better programs, better preaching, or better community. All of these things and more are hugely important tools, but the source of discipleship is God himself. Thus, at the heart of everything we do is the desire to grow in our love and knowledge of God. 
So in discipleship, we're seeking fellowship with God, love of God, knowledge of God, and, and being in community, having the joy of the triune God in our lives. And as we do, <clears throat> we are going to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that we actually walk as, as becoming of our Father, as sons of God. And this is necessary, of course, because nobody's there. We haven't made it yet. We're not perfectly living in light of God's reality. We tend to be disconnected, compartmentalized people, right? We're not consistent in our beliefs. We tend to say, yeah, I love God with some of my heart, some of my mind, some of my soul, some of my strength, and I sometimes love some of my neighbors as myself, right? That, at least that's me. Maybe that's not you. I'm getting blank stares like I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'll just be up here confessing sins while you guys are perfect, right? We don't live quorum Deo. We don't live our lives before the face of God. Um, so back in 2019 at the last men's conference, back BC before COVID, um, we had Mike Bullmore here. And uh, maybe you remember one of his talks was on the functional centrality of the gospel. He said this, he says, a local church is healthy to the degree that one, its pastor teachers are able accurately, effectively, and broadly to bring the gospel to bear specifically into the real lives of the people. And two, that it's people, that's you guys, have a deep personal understanding of, a deep personal understanding of, and deep personal appreciation of the gospel so that we're able to live in the good of the gospel every single day. Right? That we understand how the gospel relates to every part of our lives so that we have this understanding and appreciation of how the thing that Jesus did by sacrificing himself on the cross, rising again for our sins, affects the way that we go to work and the way that we burn our dinner and the way that we relate to our families and our friends and our neighbors. That's what we're striving for. We want to be disciples so we may walk in the daily good of the gospel in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So how do we get there, right? It's a lofty goal. Live every moment of every day in light of the glory of God and the grace shown to us in the gospel. That seems like it's so up here that it doesn't really relate to reality, right? How does the, the, the glory of God relate to, you know, my, my brakes going out and having to figure out how to get a car towed to the shop and things like that? I think God gives us some instruction of how we get there through Scripture. So go ahead and flip to Ephesians 4. Um, and let me, let me introduce the second part. So the, that was part one. What is discipleship? What's the goal of it? Part two is how do we get there? And I think the two main avenues that the Bible lays out is through community and through education. Um, we're going to tease out community and the rest of our time this morning. And then next week we'll cover education, um, not just education to become smarter, um, but education unto exaltation and edification, which is all alliterated, so it had to be its own lesson. That's for next week, though, so I'll spend time explaining it then. Right now, let's talk about how we grow to live 
like Christ, to live quorum Deo in community. So are we in Ephesians 4? Let me, let me show you this. Um, I'm going to start in Ephesians 4.11, and uh, I'm going to read from the DSV, which is the Dan Seidelman version, um, which is basically, I'm just going to add some commentary as we read. Go ahead and follow along in your Bibles. Make sure I'm not radically, you know, messing up scripture. Um, but the, the language and the logic here is a bit gnarly and tangled up, and I just want to help clarify it um, so we can do this quickly and move on. So verse 11, Ephesians 4.11, And Jesus gave church leaders, that would be apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints, that's the church members, for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is building up the body of Christ. And this is going to be necessary until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, till we're at mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the goal of this ministry, of the saints, right, is that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But instead of being immature children, verse 15, right, by speaking the truth in love, we, church, are to grow up in every way or mature into him who is the head. That is Christ. So we're, we're growing by speaking the truth and love to one another to grow up into Christ. We're following Christ. We're trying to become like Christ. Verse 16, And this Christ is from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that the church builds herself up in love. So hopefully as I you know, added a couple commentaries there, we, we got the point of the text. But let me summarize the logic like this. Paul's saying that Jesus works in his church by giving her gifts. One of those gifts would be church leaders who can equip the church members to do the work of ministry or the work of discipling, building up the body to be more like Christ. And when each member of the church is functioning properly in the body, now the body itself is going to build itself up. The church, by being the church, builds up the church, all by the grace and power of Jesus, because he's the one giving us the gifts to start there. So the way that you personally grow to be more like Jesus is by the church coming around you and ministering to you and, and telling you and encouraging you and admonishing you to be more like Christ, to live your life before the face of God. And likewise, as part of your Christian maturity and discipleship, you as a church member gather around other people and do the same for them. So that the church grows not as, you know, the leaders grow and equip more and more, but as the church functions, um, verse 16, as each part functions properly, it grows itself up in love. In other words, the church is absolutely essential and growing as a disciple of Christ, at least to grow in the way that God desires, right? Discipleship is not just me and Jesus in the prayer closet, right, with my Bible. It's me and my brothers and my sisters in community, working together as a spiritual family, a spiritual body, building one another up so that ULBC, or whatever church we're talking about, is greater than the sum of her parts, right? 
of course there's an individual aspect, right? We saw that when each part is working properly. You have to make sure that you're growing and working properly. But, but personal growth isn't for the sake of, look at how holy I am. It's for the sake of, how can I now help others to grow, to live in light of the glory and the grace of our God? Your personal growth is for the sake of community. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So, if you're growing to be like Christ, which I hope we all are, but we're not growing to be more like Christ for the sake of helping others grow, what you're doing is actually short-circuiting the way that Jesus intends to grow his church to be like him. His intention is to give leaders to equip the church so that the church can build herself up. So you need to be growing like Christ so that you can help the church build herself up by individuals being built up again. If we take the body metaphor as seriously as Paul does, or I could say as seriously as God does, right? It means community is absolutely essential for us to begin living all of our lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. We play an essential role in the church for others, and the church is essential for us. So from the little medical knowledge that I have, I believe that if you amputate a leg, it doesn't thrive, right? The leg kind of withers and dies, I assume. Um, and it also makes the body more difficult because it needs to refigure out how to stand and walk and balance and do things like that. So the body's hurt and the leg doesn't have the blood from the heart or the oxygen from the lungs or the nervous system forever, wherever that comes from. It, the leg needs the body, the body needs the leg. Um, or to put it in a family metaphor, again, JT English, the danger of de-emphasizing the local church family in our formation or our discipleship is that we communicate that discipleship is pursued through spiritual orphanhood. Discipleship that happens primarily outside the local church is discipleship that happens primarily outside the context of a spiritual family. This kind of discipleship means we tend to act as if we are spiritual orphans and not adopted sons and daughters of God. Because spiritual orphans don't have spiritual fathers or mothers to care for them. They don't have spiritual siblings to encourage them. They don't have their own spiritual sons and daughters to grow in the faith. In this setting, spiritual orphans learn to look out only for themselves because they don't have a family to consider. The good of the one is more important than the good of the whole. The growth of the one is more important than the growth of the whole. Spiritual orphans become primarily concerned with their own discipleship and not the discipleship of the whole family. They have no need to consider the rest of the family, only themselves. Often spiritual orphans are interested in a growing knowledge of God but not a growing love of neighbor. And as the passage we just read, Ephesians 4 says, we build the body up in love. It's necessary that we love our neighbors. Or, you know, with that simple definition, following Christ, that demands we love neighbors because we follow him in love of God and love of neighbor. 
So I, I really want to go deeper into this point because I think discipleship in the community of the local church is just so foreign to the way that we've been trained to think about discipleship. Um, but instead, let me shift gears and get practical for you. We'll end with hopefully four, four things that we can do when it comes to discipleship. The first is this. When you evangelize, when you lead somebody to Christ, don't stop there. Don't think, okay, this person accepted Christ, I shared the gospel, my job is now done. Rather, help that person to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. As I said in the introduction, I'm not really separating discipleship and evangelism lessons. They, they all work together because the call is to make disciples. So evangelism should be the front door into church membership. Okay, church membership. It kind of sounds like I'm dropping a new concept in here right now. But, but I'm really not. Because what church membership is, is a person committing to a community saying, this is the community that's going to help me grow to be more like Christ. And it's also that community committing to that person saying, he's one of us now. We need to go around him and help him to be more like Jesus Christ. We're the ones responsible, we're the community that's going to be the body or the family that helps grow them into the fullness of Christ. Which leads to number two, commit to church membership. And so without looking you know, at a membership roster, I'm guessing upwards of 85% of us here are members of ULBC. So when I say commit to church membership, I'm not saying join the church unless that's you know, fitting for you. I'm saying take what you have committed to seriously. Take your church membership like it actually matters. Because if you do that, it's going to be very difficult for you not to grow to be like Christ and not to help others grow as well. Because if you look at our membership covenant that we read every time at the business meetings, members meetings, um, you've committed to things like working and praying for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You've committed to walk in brotherly love, to faithfully admonish and entreat one another as required. You've committed to not forsake gathering with the saints and not forsake praying for the saints. You said you will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep and bear the burdens with those who weep. You said you will live a holy life and lots of other things like this. When we're actually doing that in community, we're gonna be functioning properly and building up the body in love. Um, there was a couple months ago, the Nine Marks Ministry put out a, uh, a journal, and it's, it's online, it's free. It's called How to Build Up Your Church, a guidebook for members. If I think about it, I'll post it on the church Facebook page this afternoon. And in it, it gives, I don't know, 30 short five-minute articles of, okay, you're a church member. Here's what the Bible says you should actually do about it. It would benefit us greatly if we all downloaded it and just read an article every day for a month to kind of recommit ourselves to church membership and recommit ourselves to discipleship in this church. Number three. So we have, when you evangelize, don't stop there. Commit to church membership. Number three, get in community. This should be obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you're a Christian, this is not negotiable. It's for your own good, and it's for the good of others. To put it bluntly, right, Jesus does not need the church, but he commits himself to her anyways and even calls her his body. You do need the church, so what does that say about you? So 
I'm about to attempt to, com to convince you to join a community group this year, but I want you to hear me first because community groups are not essential to discipleship, right? Community groups are not essential to discipleship. Community is. You can look through all the Bible. Nowhere will you find a command to join a community group. There, there one way to do community, I think one of the best ways, um, but small group church ministry as we know it started in the 1960s. It's been around for 60-some years. It, it, it's not found in the Bible. I mean, sure, there were small groups of community before, like Jesus and the 12 disciples. Um, but the actual ministry of community groups is a relatively new invention. That being said, well, let me put it this way. In my backyard, right, we have three tomato plants and two pepper plants. And throughout the history of the world, tomatoes and peppers have been grown without things like irrigation, wire cages, fiberglass stakes, and, and, and fertilizer. Perhaps I could grow them that way too. And, you know, with all the rain we've gotten this summer, they do just fine. But because the peppers are important to me and the tomatoes, albeit icky, are, are important to, to Chrissy, I, I want to do whatever I can to help them along and to actually produce fruit. Vegetables. I think they're both fruits. Um, so I have them staked up. I prune them. I fertilize them. And I have, you know, the timer with the irrigation on them so they get their water. It's not necessary to do this, but it's not wrong either. It's helpful so that they flourish. Um, like my peppers, right, and tomatoes, I think we need help if we want to flourish in community. We could do community without the fertilizer and the stakes and the cages and the, and the water. And that wouldn't be sinful. That wouldn't be wrong in any way. But I don't think that's the wisest plan if we really want to flourish here. Our context in the world, just in this kind of suburban 21st, 22nd, I don't know how centuries work, 2021 era, is to have no contact experiences. And I mean, the last year hasn't helped with that. Everything I do is from my phone instead of with people now. Um, and as an introvert, I absolutely love that. Um, I love being six feet away from people. And like my tendencies are to not be in community. Like, social distancing is the greatest thing that's ever happened to introverts. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but if I don't intentionally put myself in situations where I get that community, where I give those relationships, I'm not going to flourish here. I'm going to go back to my habits of being alone and, you know, caring about knowledge of God without love of neighbor. And so community groups are just this structure that we put in place to help us to grow and flourish. They're intentional scheduled times every other week when we get together, when we talk about scripture, when we talk about our lives and how the two relate so we can help one another grow into the fullness of Christ. Or they're intentional people that you connect yourselves to so that you have, you know, not a broad commitment to 100 people in the church, <clears throat> but a tight connection to 10, 8 people in the church where you can be the spiritual brother or sister or mother or son or whatever the case may be so that you can build one another up in love, so you can practically love and serve one another. I know uh, when Christy and I had COVID this spring, I mean, the whole church was praying for us, but Primary, not, not only our community group, but it was primarily our community group who said, okay, 
When do you want to do your Kroger pickup? We'll bring the groceries to you. What do you like to eat? We're going to bring a meal for you. We're in constant contact with you. We're praying for you. It was that close relationship where they could serve us and bear our burdens in our suffering. So, so join a community group this fall um, to help you in your discipleship so that you can flourish in these ways. Um, logistically speaking, it would be awesome if I said, and the signups are in the back. The signups are not in the back right now because we do not have enough host homes. We have, we have group leaders, we have people that want to be in community groups, but we don't have enough host homes where we can meet. So if you're thinking, well, I have a house and it seats more than three people, then perhaps, I'm not saying this is the way that you function properly in the church, but strongly consider, could I sacrifice, you know, two evenings a month in my home so that I can host people so we can come together and be in community? If you want to host a group, talk to me after Sunday school or after church, maybe this is how you can help serve and build up the body of Christ. Um, but hopefully by next week we'll have signups and then we'll start rolling in groups in September. But that's not all, right? I said point three is get in community. Community doesn't just happen in community groups, right? Also invite people into your lives. Have people in your house, in your living room. Get to know them. Have an ongoing group text with a couple of people where you can share what's going on and how to pray for one another and the concerns and the joys that you have. You know, when fall comes, instead of spending the entire day raking leaves outside alone in your yard, invite Matt Bridges over, right? And say, Matt, come over, rake leaves with me, talk to me all morning, and then, you know, we'll get it done twice as fast. That afternoon, we'll go to your house and rake leaves together. It's going to be, you know, a way that you can just do normal things that need to be done and be in community at the same time. Get creative. Find a way where you can invite people in so you can help them to grow to be more like Christ and you can grow more like Christ because of their influence on you. And number four, when we think about discipleship, think about knowing God, right? There is definitely a lot to do in discipleship, right? Jesus doesn't call it taking up your cross for nothing. It's a sacrifice. It's difficult, and it can seem overwhelming. But remember the reasons that we do what we do, right? What are the reasons that we deny ungodly lusts and walk in holiness and fight the good fight of faith and deal with brothers and sisters who are hard to love and are patient with one another and promote unity with one another and endure all the awkwardness of community? It's because we want to know God. We want to experience the joy of fellowship with the triune God, the creator and redeemer of the universe. This is our highest goal and our highest pleasure and our highest good and our highest joy. Um, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer encourages us with a few questions. He says, what are we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Well, according to Jesus in John 17, it's the knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. And knowing God is what discipleship is all about and that we would glorify God and we would enjoy him forever. So just to recap, this week we saw the goal of discipleship is living a life before the face of God, knowing God and enjoying his 
presence and his grace and his glory in our lives. The first way that we can get there is through community, through the church building itself up in love. The second way that we'll talk about next week is through education, but not education, you know, for the sake of knowing things, but education for exaltation so that we would worship God better and truer and more faithfully and for edification so that we ourselves would grow to be more like Christ. So uh, let, me, let me pray for us and then we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, it is astounding that you would invite us to know you. You are glorious and infinite and righteous and perfect and holy and we are not any of these things. We are finite creatures. We are sinful. We are rebellious. We are half-hearted and, and weak. And yet you love us to the point that you sent your own son to die, to bring us to you. So Lord, I pray that we would take your grace seriously. I pray that we would take your joy seriously, that we would desire to know you, that we would desire to make you known, and that we would live all of our lives in this understanding that you are the mighty and majestic sovereign Lord, and that your grace infuses every single aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would, um, grow and strengthen this church body, <clears throat> that we may serve one another by speaking the truth in love and building each other up in love. I pray for community groups this fall. I pray that um, those who are on the fence about joining would um, join. I pray that those who are on the fence about hosting would host. I pray that you would um, just be with everybody who is a member of them and leading them. I pray that a lot of fruit would happen, that we wouldn't just have community for the sake of community, but that it would be a means to, to grow our love and our knowledge of you. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.